like learning about terrifying and disturbing true crime stories, you have came to the right place. Hi, my name is Ethan, and a friendly reminder that a free way to support me is by liking and subscribing. I also want to issue a trigger warning because we will be talking about murder. Without further ado, let's get right into this. Daryl Abbott, otherwise known as Dimebag, he was the guitarist of the heavy metal bands Pantera and Damage Plan, both of which he co-founded alongside his brother Vinnie Paul. After doing some digging, a lot of sources refer to him as the greatest guitarist of all time. I personally do not know much about heavy metal, however, from what I do know, it's not an easy thing to perform. Music ran in his family, and Daryl was attracted to the idea of playing guitar. His parents are Carolyn and Jerry Abbott, and Jerry was a country music producer, which means he already had a foot in the door in the music world. After 17 years of marriage, his parents decided to get a divorce in 1979, but they were mature enough about it and made their kids a priority. Carolyn was very supportive of her son's musical interest, and his father made sure to stay in the area to give his son guitar lessons. Because of his parents' support, he was able to develop the skill of guitar. The band Pantera was formed in 1981. Daryl's brother Vinny was asked to join a band alongside his high school classmates, Terry Glaze, who played the guitar, Tommy Bradford, who played bass, and Donnie Hart, who was in charge of vocals. Vinny accepted the invitation, but on one condition, that Daryl would also join the band. It's funny to note that they were actually hesitant to let Daryl join the band. They actually claimed that Daryl was not good at playing the guitar. Later, he was now known as the greatest guitarist, so I just think that's very ironic. Pantera released its first album, Metal Magic, in 1983, when Daryl was just 16 years old. Needless to say, this album was just the beginning of a successful career. The band played close to 200 shows supporting Cowboys from Hell as it toured for nearly two years. The band spent the majority of their time touring in the 1990s, however, they were still coming up with new songs and albums. While the tour was taking place, Daryl quickly gained a reputation as a wild figure on tour and a heavy drinker which led for very entertaining concerts. Even though the band appeared super successful, there became tensions. Apparently, one of the band members, Phil, suffered from chronic back pain and started drinking heavily to numb the pain. Due to the tensions with the band, recordings for Pantera's next album, The Great Southern Trend Kill, were held separately. Daryl, Vinny, and Brown recorded at Chase and Jason's studio, a studio Daryl had constructed in a barn in his backyard, while Phil recorded the vocals at Trent Reznor's Nothing Studios in New Orleans. On July 13, 1996, Phil overdosed on heroin following the band's performance at the Dallas Starplex Amphitheater and was clinically dead for around five minutes. However, he did recover quickly and performed at the band's next show in San Antonio two days afterwards. But the incident created a lasting rift within the band as they resented him for his actions and not seeking help. The 2001 tour was cancelled due to the 9-11 attacks, and the group decided to take a break to work on themselves. They had planned to regroup in 2003, but Daryl would eventually receive calls from the band members stating they did not want to return. Understandably so, Daryl felt that he had lost everything that he worked for and was devastated. After some time for healing and regrouping, Daryl started a new band called Damage Plan. Fans were left high and dry and without understanding as to why the band separated, the band eventually released another hit album and started their tour. They spent most of 2004 on its Devastation Across the Nation tour. To rebuild a fan base and help their public relations, the band also toured nightclubs across the country. The members had also planned to record a follow-up album to really get their band in the spotlight, but due to a deranged fan, the idea was quickly crushed. On December 8, 2004, Damage Plan was performing at the Al Rosa Villa nightclub in Columbus, Ohio. 
The show was packed with fans who were excited to finally see the band in person. As normal, the band members got on stage and as they played the first song, a deranged fan named Nathan Gale rushed onto the stage and shot Daryl multiple times with a Beretta 92FS, which was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. In the midst of the chaos of running fans, the band's head security, Jeffrey Thompson, then tackled Gale but was fatally shot in the ensuing struggle. A fan named Nathan Bray had jumped on stage to aid both the men and was also unalived. Aaron Hawk, an employee of the venue, tried to disarm Nathan while he was reloading, but was also tragically shot and unalived. Three others were wounded before Columbus police officers entered the club and shot Gale once in the head, unaliving him, and 38-year-old Daryl Abbott was pronounced dead at the scene. Thousands of fans attended his public memorial in support of what had happened. Number two, the story of John Lennon. This case really interested me because John Lennon was a peace activist who based his entire platform on loving others. And John Lennon seemed to be a pretty controversial free individual who wouldn't really step on anyone's toes. Growing up, John had a difficult childhood. His parents split up and when he was five years old, they made him decide who he wanted to live with. Even though he chose to live with his father multiple times, he began crying and followed his mom home. His mother bought him his first guitar in 1956, however told him that he would never make a living out of it. Her words of doubt were eventually shoved back into her face, as when John at 15 formed a skiffle group named Quarrymen. For those of you who don't know what a skiffle group is, it's a genre of folk music with influences from American folk music, blues, country, bluegrass, and jazz. After some shuffling of band members, John Lennon, Paul McCarthy, George Harrison, and Stuart Sutcliffe became the Beatles in early 1960. And to add to John's family not supporting him, they were offered a 48-night residency in Hamburg in West Germany as they were desperately in need of a drummer. And his aunt pleaded that John would decline the offer and pursue a higher education as she felt that the band would take him nowhere. As you guys know, the Beatles was a successful band and they produced a lot of music, causing them to gain a lot of money. Unfortunately, John Lennon's fame and kind heart would eventually take his own life. At approximately 5 o'clock p.m. on December 8, 1980, John Lennon autographed a copy of Double Fantasy for Mark David Chapman before leaving the Dakota with Anno for a recording session at the record plant. After the session, Lennon and Anno returned to Dakota in a limousine around 10.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They left the vehicle and walked through the archway of the building. Up until then, no red flags were raised until Mark Chapman then approached John and shot him twice in the back and twice in the shoulder at close range. John was rushed in a police cruiser to the emergency room of Roosevelt Hospital and despite the doctor's efforts, he was pronounced dead at 11.15pm. They actually did not hold a funeral for him. In the following weeks of his murder, multiple songs he had written would hit number one in the charts. Selena Quintanilla Perez was an American singer who achieved international fame as a member of Selena y los Dinos and for her subsequent solo career in both Spanish and English. Her family was extremely supportive of her music career, so much so that her father was even her manager. Selena was introduced to the music industry by her father who saw a way back into the music business after discovering Selena's perfect timing and pitch. As you guys know, the music industry can be very addictive, and once he saw his daughter's talent, he took advantage of that and went running. He quickly organized his children into a band called Selena y los Dinos, which included A.B. Quintanilla III on bass, Suzette Quintanilla on drums, and Selena as a lead singer. The band became the family's main source of income and provided a way for them to gain secure housing. 
The family moved to Corpus Christi, Texas, and Selena y Los Dinos began recording music professionally, and this was only the start of a successful music career. In 1984, the band released its first LP record with a small independent record company that was perfect for a beginning band. Selena's popularity as a singer grew after she won the Music Award for Female Vocalist of the Year in 1987. Her winning was the beginning of a snowball effect for her fame, and she landed her first major record deal with capital EMI Latin in 1989. Now let's talk about Yolanda Salvador, who extremely disliked Selena. Apparently, Yolanda did not like Selena because she won awards that her favorite music artists were also nominated for. I personally think that is a dumb reason to dislike someone, but that is just me. Her mind was changed, however, when she attended a Selena concert with her niece and became a regular attendant as she enjoyed Selena's stage presence. She got the idea of starting a Selena fan club in the San Antonio area to promote the singer. According to the little brother, Yolanda tried contacting him and left 15 messages, but when he responded, he agreed to the idea of the fan club as it would give good publicity. Yolanda became the founder and acting president of the Selena fan club in San Antonio in June of 1991. As president, she was responsible for membership benefits and collecting $22 in exchange for products promoting Selena. If you ask me, she was basically the marketing manager for Selena. Essentially, she raised a lot of income, however, Yolanda's double personality quickly came to light as other members claimed when Selena was around, Yolanda was extremely nice, but the second Selena left, she would turn into an entirely different person. She had opened a few boutiques as well, but in December of 1994, the boutiques began to suffer. The company's bank accounts lacked sufficient funds to pay bills, and there was no helping the boutiques anymore. The remaining employees even went as far as complaining to Selena about Yolanda, but Selena did not believe her friend would hurt her or her business. Needless to say, Yolanda was really good at living a double life around Selena. However, as you guys know, when it comes to lying, the truth will eventually be brought out. It was brought to Selena's attention that there was missing funds and fans were writing in to complain about Yolanda. It all eventually led to Yolanda being banned from contacting Selena. After being banned, Yolanda would become completely unhinged and would make multiple attempts to contact Selena and guilt trip her. It became so serious that Selena told her husband they could no longer trust her. On March 30th, 1995, Selena contacted Leonard Wong about the perfume samples he had made for her. According to Wong, Selena told him she would be seeing Yolanda the next morning to pick up the samples that had been stolen from her. That was a very dangerous idea as she was already made aware of the hatred Yolanda had for her. The same day, she told another employee at the boutique she was expecting to 100% fire Yolanda. The same employee even went as far as following Selena home that night because she was concerned over the singer after their discussion about Yolanda and feared that she might be in danger. The next day, Selena met with Yolanda for the stolen products, and at the motel, Selena and Yolanda began arguing. The argument was so loud that motel guests complained about loud noises coming from the room. Selena allegedly told her that she could no longer be trusted and demanded Yolanda to return her financial papers. Selena then dumped Yolanda's satchel onto the bed and inside of it contained bank statements and a gun. Once seeing the gun, Yolanda quickly grabbed the weapon and pointed it at Selena. As Selena tried to flee, she shot her once in the lower right shoulder, fatally puncturing an artery and causing a massive loss of blood. Selena was critically wounded. Despite her injuries, she ran towards the lobby, leaving a trail of blood. Hotel guests later stated that she was seen with her hand on her chest, screaming, Help me, help me, I've been shot. At this point, Yolanda was still chasing her, pointing the gun, and calling her a bitch. 
According to Carlos Morales, who was standing outside the motel, he heard a loud commotion and saw Selena running towards him. He claimed she grabbed him and screamed, they'll shoot me again. 11.49 a.m., Selena collapsed on the floor as a hotel general manager, Barbara Schultz, called 911. Before she collapsed, Selena did identify Yolanda as the person responsible and gave the number of the room where she had been shot. An ambulance arrived at the scene in 1 minute and 55 seconds after the call was made. Despite their attempts, they were unsuccessful at saving her. Selena was pronounced dead at 1.05 p.m. at the age of 23. Police then went to arrest Yolanda, which led to a 9-hour standoff. Yolanda was finally arrested and given life in prison without the possibility of parole for 30 years. I hope you guys enjoyed this video and if you or someone you know has a crime that has been swept under the rug and is in need of being brought to light, contact me at crimebrought to light at gmail.com. And without further ado, I will see you guys next time.